from the big screen to the small screen and everything in between. This is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Screeners Podcast. This is Daniel. This is Chad. I'm Chris. And we are down, Melody and, and Josh, today, but we're back yet again to talk about all things media. And don't forget, before we begin, we'd love to hear from you, our fans. So uh, if you have any questions, comments, uh, anything you want to throw at us, head over to our website, screenerspodcast.com, and leave us a comment. Let us know what we're doing terribly, or um, you could even say what we're doing great. Uh, that might be nice. If Facebook's more your style, we're on there too, so you can find us there. Uh, or Twitter at ScreenersCast. You can even send us an email at ScreenersCast at gmail.com. All right, now that's out of the way, let's dive right into Jump Cuts. Jump Cuts. Jump For our first jump cut tonight, we thought we would continue the tradition of discussing some of our favorite nuances within movies. And so Chris found a really good question to bring to the table tonight. And so what I'd like to do is ask you guys, what is your favorite fight from a film? It could be a fight scene. It could be an action sequence. But I know that all of us grew up, especially me, some of us grew up a little earlier than the others where we had more <laughs> practical effects. Now we're you know, bombarded with all kinds of CGI action. All kinds of variables go into why people like action, why they like fighting. And there's very few things as visceral and exciting as a good old-fashioned fight in a movie so uh daniel let's start with you tell us what are what are some of your favorite fights from a film all right this one was really tough for me uh not because i haven't seen a lot of action movies but just i for some reason this was a really hard question i couldn't think of like fights that there's plenty of great action movies of course but a specific fight scene was really hard for me to to narrow down but i thought of a couple um one recent fight that was very surprising, I guess, just very entertaining, uh, the church scene in Kingsman. Yes. I thought oh, yeah. so well done. Yeah, man. Uh-huh. It was just nuts. I mean, it just kept on going and going, and the action was so well choreographed and seamless um, and often hilarious. I just thought it was really, really well done. And super violent. Um, Yes, ultra violent, ultra violent. So that's but, always but th- good. There was that air of mystery too. Like, what in What's the happening? world is happening yeah, right yeah, now? Yeah. Why? Why? For sure, that's a so, great pick. So, yeah. so that's my answer. Part one. I have a part two for for probably the most surprising. Uh, that church scene was very surprising, but probably the most surprising fight scene that I just couldn't. I can't can't get over was in Pineapple Express um, <laughs> when. Uh, Saul, Dale, and Red started when they found out that Red was working for the for the bad guys, and they started getting a fight. I thought that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It felt so real. It felt like three stoners trying to beat the crap out of each other. I mean, they're they're just like uh, beating each other with a cordless phone and just doing all sorts <laughs> of crazy crap. They're giving each other Charlie horses. It was just hilarious. So it's like um, a Friday night at your house, is what you're saying. Basically, <laughs> basically, it felt really true for me. So I just I really loved it. And that's two podcasts now that I've uh, referenced Judd Apatow movies so you can tell tell my taste in movies yeah and I'm it so- seems as though you, you like to connect hu- humor with your violence you, you're not a you're not a fan of this so. full on violence there. <laughs> I guess that's so good. that's good I was expecting you to say it was the um, fight scene from San Andreas don't, so don't, I'm don't. surprised <laughs> we didn't go back there <laughs> the rock versus that one <laughs> skyscraper right. versus that thing that happened yeah the <laughs> laugh earthquake. it up laugh it up all right, well, that's great. That's actually two great picks. Kingsman, That's I did not consider that. I hadn't thought about that, but that was 
that was really something special. That's a, that's a great pick there. All right, Christopher, what about you? You are our, our resident action lover yeah. uh, and Michael Bay fan. I'm sure it's a Michael Bay film. So <laughs> tell is. us, what is, uh, what is your favorite fight scene from the film? No, okay, so uh, I've got I've got three, two runners up, and then my absolute uh, number one pick. So you have a clear cut favorite, awesome. Okay, I do, I do, I th- and I think it's probably one of the very best fight sequences. See, now I was thinking of fight sequences that really upped the ante, that went from like oh, you know, oh crap, to oh my gosh, another level. So the number <laughs> one thing for me, the, the 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 fight sequence that comes to my mind immediately is the the fight sequence between Neo and Agent uh, Smith at the yeah. end of the first Matrix film. Right. Yeah. Um, that's no just one of those, like, boom, like, yes, amazing. I have to put in, just because I think it's the best movie of all time, the T-Rex versus the Raptor at the end <laughs> of Jurassic okay. Park. That's a good pick. That's creative. That's out of the yeah. box. Yeah. I can see I, that. I, think, I honestly think that that's one of the best, because that was something that was totally unexpected, and it turned a villain into a hero in one swift motion, and it was really a cool moment in uh, in cinema. But I think the, the best fight sequence in, in maybe cinematic history I'm not joking when I say this, Uh-oh. is Vader versus Luke versus the Emperor <laughs> at the end right. of Jedi. I don't know that you can really up that. I think that's one of the finest. There's just a lot going on there. Uh, and those three characters, I don't want to spoil it, obviously, but it still is one of the the, the coolest moments in cinematic history and one of the very best fights uh, that had a lot of layers on it. So those are my picks for best fight in a film. That's true. That's true. That's a great pick as well. And I think, obviously, what adds... Uh, an extra layer of depth to that is just the what we know about those characters up to that point, which absolutely which transitions yeah. over uh, into my uh, into my picks. Uh, and what I discovered when I was putting this list together is that it, I kind of clearly had two camps that was evenly divided. One yeah. was where I just appreciated the technical aspect of the scene of the fight itself and another one. It wasn't necessarily the most technically ambitious scene, but it was so emotionally grounded in why the the conflict was happening that I loved it. And so I'm going to start with I'm going to start with the technical stuff and I, I actually had five of these so I'm sorry I got got a little Whoa. carried away. But I'm older so I get, I've been alive longer so I have, I have more <laughs> reference to, to pull from. So starting from just stuff that I appreciated and when I saw them at the time I thought wow that that's kind of a new bar. One was, and I don't know that this movie gets a lot of love because the director has kind of fallen from grace, but the first time I saw the movie 300, uh, in, I saw it in a theater in an IMAX, and th- there are some scenes there where it literally took my breath away just from a technical standpoint. Another one is the, a movie called The Raid. I'm sure you guys have, have seen yeah, The yeah, Raid. totally. Just when you're going 15 minutes long and it's just one choreographed thing after the other. Now, that those movies don't have a, a sense of realism to them, but from a technical standpoint, they're really, they're really just beautiful. Now, from my younger days, when I was first really kind of getting into watching movies and the emotional impact, I, I actually have three that that take the cake. One is Rocky four. Now you can pick any rock, oh. any Rocky that you want to, but I was like 10 or 11 years old and watching Ivan Drago versus Rocky America versus Russia before must, in the cold war. You. Yes. You, if you could change and we could change, everybody could change. It's, it's the so worst. Good. It's the it's worst. So good. It's the so worst, good. but it was so good. I, mean, oh, I have, I have yeah. memories of my entire family, my brothers and my parents, like cheering oh, in yeah. our house oh, watching Rocky Four. So that oh, was God. one. But, but one that even takes the cake even higher for me is, without a doubt, 
the the entire tournament and the final fight in the Karate Kid uh-huh. of okay. Daniel LaRusso right. versus the Cobra Kai. When there was just Mr. Miyagi, you know, doing his his magic hand rubbing on his knee and sweep the leg and all that stuff. I watched that movie. I probably conservatively watched the Karate Kid a hundred times, you know, when I when I was young, and I, that just for me just epitomizes great drama, you know, good versus evil and blah 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 blah. So anyway, for me, it's the Karate Kid. Now I do have an honorable mention. Have you guys ever seen the movie Evil Dead Two? Oh yeah. Okay. I have so, not. Bruce Campbell versus his own hand is one of the most hilarious <laughs> yes. things yes. in history. So when you're talking about a fight, fighting your own hand, if you haven't seen it, Daniel, you really should check out Evil Dead 2. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a great great camp. Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, awesome now, stuff. That, that was in that was in 2, not uh Well, yes, Army Evil of Dead Darkness? 2. Well, yes, it started in Evil Dead 2. It actually started in Evil Dead. Evil Dead 2 is kind of a remake update. Uh, and that's where it all really first started and went down in the shed. So if you haven't seen Evil Dead Two, you okay. should you got to see it. Because I, I prefer Dead I prefer Dawn. I preferred Army of Darkness myself. Come on, man, that was that's awesome. It is awesome. Ar- Army of Darkness nice. is great, but Evil Dead Two is the is the it's the original. It's the original. Sure. Anyway, Absolutely. great. Well, that's a great question, guys. So our next favorite fight is going to be when we get to our review of Black Mass. Yes, <laughs> you're listening to the Screeners Podcast. All right, so fall is upon us, and that means a slew of new and mostly crappy TV shows. I thought you were going to say pumpkin spice latte from Starbucks. Is what that I- too? That too. That's that's <laughs> okay. the second best thing. Pumpkin but, everything. Uh, that's right. So I want to talk about the new shows that uh, that are coming out and the sh- the returning shows that we can't wait to to watch again. So um, let's go ahead and start with Chad. Chad, what are you looking forward to? That's returning. Have you checked out any new shows? What are you excited for? Well, let me tell you what I'm not excited for, Daniel. And for people that have listened to this podcast, this will be a shock to them. I'm not excited for Grey's Anatomy. Okay? Grey's <laughs> Whoa, Anatomy really? jumped the shark. It jumped it. Now, I don't want to... What? Sp- I, I have been... Daniel, you don't realize this, but I've been a longtime supporter and evangelist for the show Grey's Anatomy. I'm not ashamed of the wow. fact that I may cry quite a bit watching that show. You're blowing I don't care. my mind wow. right now. I'm in the hand of Shonda Rhimes, and she can take me where she would like. Now, I hate Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder. I don't know. I don't get it. But Grey's Anatomy, I've been there from the beginning. But without spoiling it, what they did to a character at the end of last season, it just finally broke it for me. I was like, I'm not, can't do it anymore, so I'm out. So wow. I can't, I can't even do it. I need it. to know what this it, is. Can we go into hurts. spoilers? It I want to know. It hurts my heart. They just, they killed off a central character for no good reason, just for more no. drama. I just couldn't, I'm out. I'm totally out. Wow. They can't let you know people what? be happy on soap operas, okay? Fix soap operas. <laughs> let some people be happy every now and then. So this then. means you are going to no. actually continue to watch no, it. No, I'm out. Unhappy. No, I'm totally no, out. Not. No. Yeah, no, you're not. It, no I, you're, I, can, hey, I can tell. You're just like, both, no, they hurt listen, me. They hurt me they so bad. They did hurt me. They hurt me. I took it off my DVR. <laughs> I took it off, and then the other day, my hand was like shaking. I was like, I'm going to add it back, but I didn't. I stood strong, so it's out. Grey's Anatomy is out. Now, as far as, like, new stuff, and I could be totally wrong, obviously, because my viewing habits are a little bit different in as much as I don't always jump on new shows right away. I kind of wait and see which ones kind of get critical acclaim and that people like, and then I kind of jump in. I am excited about The Muppets. Uh, I haven't really heard much about how it is, but I love The Muppets, so I'm hoping that's great. And then there's another show, on, I believe it's on Fox, called The Grinder, which is like a legal drama 
with Rob Lowe, who's like a TV lawyer, and his brother's a real lawyer, and he comes back, and he wants to start helping with his cases, and so that looks pretty funny and interesting as well, because I'm always a sucker for a good legal drama. So uh, Mm -hmm. other than that, this looks like a really weak fall slate. I'm not excited about heroes. I'm not excited about a lot of the, about really much of anything, so... You know, I hate to be yeah. Debbie Downer, but Grey's Anatomy broke my heart for all of TV, so there I said it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I stuck with Grey's Anatomy for like seven or eight seasons, but then I just uh it got too oh, uh too soapy for me, so I uh yeah. yeah, I couldn't couldn't do it. The first two seasons of Grey's Anatomy is excellent television. Excellent yeah. television. And then the third season I started getting that uh oh and then I was out. I was yeah. done. Yeah, I'll, I might finish it one day, but not if it goes twenty seasons. So. <laughs> it will. It's, it's, it's more than halfway <laughs> there. It's so funny how they're marketing that. I don't know if you guys have seen these in the AMC theaters. Anyway, they have this like twenty-minute-long uh, promo for the ABC lineup, and it's just uh, all the women from those shows, How to Get Away with Murder, Scandal, and Grey's Anatomy, throwing wine and popcorn around, and it's like, <laughs> all right, here we go. All the you know middle-aged women are going to watch their shows with wine. This is going to be. Yeah. It's amazing. I am. Yeah. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. <laughs> All right, anyway, sorry. Tangent. All right, well, so Chris, what are you looking forward to? Right, so I just actually was able to watch the first two episodes of Project Greenlight on HBO, mm-hmm. and that okay. is really exciting for me. I love to be able to watch behind the scenes and to be able to spend an entire season behind the scenes with a first-time director, him learning how to make a movie in the studio system, have a large budget but really actually have to produce something is fascinating i'm already hating everybody involved <laughs> but <laughs> hey can i ask see you a question, how it Chris? goes sure is this the same show that the, uh, like they used to have project green light same concept yes this is uh, ben affleck and matt damon okay. okay so they've come back with that i didn't Correct. know that yeah. okay cool. and they've partnered with hbo this time so instead of it being a movie that may or may not come out at some time in the near future theatrically uh once the series is over they are going on hbo go awesome okay i think it's the next week you actually get to see the final product on hbo which is pretty cool that's That's a good that is very cool yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's a comedy they're doing this year, or it's supposed to be a comedy. It's really you should just watch it. It's it's really a, an interesting first two episodes at least. I'm going to continue to watch it, obviously, but it's it's a reality show. So there are some things in it that I'm just like, man, why are you doing that? Why not? Let's just stick to how you make movie. I don't really care about who hates who or who likes who. All that <laughs> junk is not really interesting to me. Doctor Who is back. I am a huge Whovian. And so I'll be watching this season. I've not been a big fan of the new Doctor, Peter Capaldi. He's he's okay, but you know I started with Matt Smith. So we'll see how that goes. I'm always willing to give it a, a try. And then there's several, film, uh, several television shows that are coming out that I want to try, but I know are going to be terrible because they look too, way too networky. One of my very favorite uh, Spielberg films is being made into a television show, and that yeah. is Minority Report. Yeah, I just can't do mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah, yeah it... it, it I'm, I'm going to have to watch it. I just need to see what it's all about, but I know they're going to ruin it. It just yeah. makes, it makes my heart sad. I, I feel like if HBO or Showtime or even like something like AMC would have gotten a hold of that, it would have right. been a cool yeah, thing. Definitely. And then a strange world that we live in where we want other entities other than the major networks to do a show to believe that it's going to be any good. 
Well, yeah, and that's yeah. the thing. You know, NBC though surprised me with Hannibal. It's a really good show. Is that, that show that got canceled. <laughs> that got, that yeah, you still yeah. talk about. It to was this so day. good. It was so good that Grey's Anatomy got renewed, Bam. and that did. And that is a that is a crying shame. It's one of the it is one of the very best shows ever. Anyway, and then also <clears throat> I want to try Blind Spot because it sounds like it may be one of those like, hey, there's a mystery. Like I'm always wanting there to be another Lost in my world or the first season of Heroes. I just don't know if that's ever going to exist anymore. I can't do um, it. That that blind spot concept looks great, but then as soon yeah. as I start seeing the footage, I'm like, it yeah. just looks yeah. too too crappy. Well, no, you can tell that they 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 spent a lot of money on the ad for it, right? So right. it's very cinematic shots, and it looks really cool. And then as soon as they cut to the, like you said, the actual show, yeah, it's like, oh man. Yeah, but can I say it makes my heart happy to hear you say that Minority Port is one of your favorite Spielberg films. It's, it is. It's so underrated. Oh, Absolutely. come on. Look, I'm a sci-fi awesome so I'm a sci-fi awesome. guy. I love Tom Cruise. You know, Colin Farrell. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. You don't get much better than that movie. It's a great it's, movie. It's, it's really good. It's really good. And like you said, highly underrated. Man. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so th- those are my picks. It's odd because most of the time these you know shows, the shows that I like, don't follow the traditional fall television network season and so most of these shows like you said chad are just not all that interesting yeah plus it's always a gamble because you you start off and if you actually do like something there's a better than 60 70 percent chance it's not going to get picked up for a full season or renewed so you almost have to kind of wait and see what lands although that's a cycle that doesn't work because if you don't watch it it won't get renewed so what are you gonna do man in the high castle from amazon isn't that coming out uh, sometime soon do we know? Did you guys ever watch I The Man of so. the High I've Castle? I've been waiting for it to be released before I started because you talked about how great it was. Oh, that pilot is one of the very best pilots I have ever seen. I'm just looking to see if there is a release date because it was really they, – they said it was supposed to be fall this year, November 20th. There you go. November right. 20th. So that will be amazing because it says fall 2015. So, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. That is my number one looking forward to new show of the season, Man in the High Castle from Amazon Prime. Watch that. It's awesome. Interesting. What about you, Daniel? Yeah, I am very much in line with you, Chad. I I, I, I sort of wait waited out there unless I'm really convinced by just you know the concept, the trailer. Then I I probably won't jump into it. And I haven't. I I'm struggling to think of the last network drama that I've started. I can't. I don't watch any right now. I hear good things about like Blacklist. Other than that, I I you know I don't watch drama. So there's none of those on my list. And Minority Report looks awful. Don't uh, watch the though, Blacklist. Yeah. Let me save you some trouble. Don't watch. No, it. Really? no, don't, no. Don't listen to Chris on this. Hang don't on listen. now. Don't watch. No, it no, 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 no. Blacklist is not good, but it is a good <laughs> network show. Does <laughs> that make that sense? Even mean? So it's the best of the worst. Yeah, exactly. There you go. It is the best of the worst. If Sounds if you got to have great. something on in the background while you're washing dishes. <laughs> You can't do much worse. I mean, much much better than Blacklist. No way. There's too many other really good things available. That's the problem. High praise. That's High totally praise. the problem. I'm looking for. Oh, I forgot Supergirl, guys. I totally oh, forgot Supergirl. No. Oh god. <laughs> no, but but the shows that I have, I've, I've watched two of the new shows. I've watched some Muppets. So they just the the one episode that's aired so far, and it was pretty good. It was pretty funny. I laughed out loud a couple times. I wouldn't say it's amazing, but I thought it was pretty good, and I, it it gave me hope that the show would be good um, as a whole. So I hope it continues, and, and um, I really love the premise of the show. I think it's a funny premise uh, being set in their quote-unquote real lives. I thought, I think that's 
hilarious and they do it really well. They they didn't knock it out of the park with the pilot, but it was, you know, it was solid as far especially as far as pilots go. So that was good. And then I watched Scream Queens. Um yeah, okay. I watched it out of pure curiosity. I watched it and and honestly, uh, I was pretty surprised. Um, I've heard it was this. Decent. It really? was decent. Yeah. Oh, you know, it wasn't incredible, but it was the humor was nice and twisted and dark, but it was honestly pretty funny and kept my interest that for it was a two-hour premiere and um i want to keep watching so i could definitely see this one going downhill going into the teen girl demo but for now i i'm gonna keep with it because it was funny and interesting and just pretty unique as far as network comedies go so yeah so i'm gonna keep with that one what what's our what network is that on it's on fox fox it's Uh, it's the same guy who did glee and american horror story ryan murphy so um that's why i can definitely see it possibly going oh, downhill after yeah. the Getting good starts and not <laughs> yeah. so good. Yeah. But the pilot the pilot and the and the second episode were, were pretty good. So I'll I'll keep with it for now. But as far as returning shows, I am so freaking excited for The Last Man on Earth to return. I loved that show last <laughs> season. Oh yeah, my gosh. It was good. It was good. That is right now that's honestly that could be my favorite show on T V right now. I wow. absolutely loved it. Loved it. It it, got, it it dipped a little bit in the middle of the season, but for me, it was hilarious all the way through and just surprising. So that I, is my recommendation. I have yet to start that. Chris, did you watch that? I did. Yeah. Well, I think I've I've still got a couple episodes in it. I actually didn't uh, finish the season. I oh, keep meaning to. I know. I know. I know. I I loved all the episodes. We I talked about it a couple of episodes back uh, as being one of the more entertaining uh, shows on on television, especially a comedy. You know, if you're yes. looking for something that's funny and heartfelt and has something to say, Definitely. you're not going to get too much better than than that. It really is. Definitely. Cool. That's on my yeah. list for sure. Yeah. You need, yeah. You it need to be. watch it, man. It should uh, be. That, uh, no. No. Uh, comedy especially is, is has so many uh surprises and and <laughs> just oh my gosh just the way it's written is perfect and i love that the main character is just a, a freaking jerk it's <laughs> no other comedy is doing that right now where you you love to hate the the, the main character like, not only not only is the last man on earth he's also the worst man on earth he is yeah. and it's awesome yeah all right, well, that about does it for TV. We've got some interesting things to watch and definitely some things to not watch. So uh, let's move on to our next segment. You're listening to The Screeners Podcast. All right, guys, well, you may have noticed that Josh and Melody were absent from Jump Cuts, and they're also going to be absent from our review of Black Mass, but they were able to join us for a very special segment of the podcast that's coming up right now. We had an interview with filmmaker Brett Culp, and he's been working on several different projects over the last few years, and we got to sit down with him for a few minutes and chat about a very exciting documentary, and uh, we can't wait for you to hear it. So here it is. Well, for this episode, we have a really awesome interview that we are so excited to be bringing you guys. We are interviewing filmmaker Brett Culp, who is the director and producer of a documentary called Legends of the Night. Um, And it's a documentary film about how the character of Batman inspires like regular people to become heroes in their communities. It's a really cool documentary, which we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. The film was actually funded through a very successful Kickstarter campaign, and it's been featured at Comic-Con. It's been featured in Wired Magazine. It's currently on Netflix, and um, I'm sure Brett can tell us some more of its accolades. It's also been featured in charity screenings around the country where they have raised over $75,000 
for local charities. So we're excited to talk with Brett about Legends of the Night, but we're also really excited to be interviewing him right now because this week he is in the middle of launching a new crowdfunding campaign for his next project, which I'm going to let him tell us a little bit about here in a few minutes. So before we get to hearing about the new film, Brett, we've got to first just let you say hey to the listeners real quick and then spend a little bit of time talking about Legends of the Night because we all were able to watch it again this week, kind of just in preparation for this interview with you. We're obviously inspired not only by the content of the film, but also just by the way you funded and produced it. So I know the guys have a lot of questions, but if you first just want to say hey, and then we'll get into some discussion. Oh, sure. Thank you. Well, it's a joy to be here with you and to chat about this this project, because uh, it really is. It's a film, but it's more than a film um, in terms of what it became and what, uh, what happened with it. Legends of the Night, as you said, tells the story of the stories, many stories of people who were inspired to become real life heroes because of their childhood love of Batman. I loved Batman when I was a kid. And, and this was just a a project I was really passionate about when we launched it. And when we launched the trailer for the film, uh, which was in connection with the Kickstarter campaign we launched, it just resonated with so many people on a level that I never would have expected because of the way people uh, so many people in the world have been influenced and inspired by these characters. You know, in many ways, there are modern day mythology or folklore. And so, you know, they really connect with people on a very deep personal level. And so they really connected with with the film and the project. And so, uh, you know, not only did we we raise, you know, have a successful Kickstarter, but just there was so much support around it. And I felt as we finished making the movie, that it was kind of a gift to me. I I have spent my career making films for weddings and events. I I travel all over the country, all over the world really doing that, and also working with corporations and not-for-profits. That's really how I pay my bills. And and I felt like this particular project was such a gift to me, and there was so much joy in it that we wanted to do something special with it. So uh, we ended up, as you said, uh, offering it up to organizations and individuals to host screenings all around the world and just said, hey, we're giving you the movie for these screenings. Do it. Uh, put it together and uh, the money can go to the charity of your choice. And I didn't know when we did that if that was going to be a complete flop or if that was going to be an awesome experience. And it turned out that these superheroes from all over the world rallied together. The film's now screened in 100 cities all over the world raising $75,000 for charity, and the success of all that ended up leading to some great distribution for the film because of the publicity that went along with all those charity screenings, and now it's on Netflix and Hulu and iTunes and Amazon and everywhere else, and that whole process was was so much bigger than me um, and so much bigger than our little filmmaking team in Tampa, Florida could have put together. It really was because of the great hearts of so many people that made it happen. The story just of you like making the film is just one of the inspiring stories that the film inspires. It's just like you're part of it too. It's it's really it's really awesome. And I when I watched it, I totally like teared up again this time. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of awesome stuff in that film, and I know you guys have done so much great stuff with it already. So I know the guys have some questions that they want to ask. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris, let's go to you first. I know you've got some questions. Yeah, no, absolutely. So a lot of us, uh, Brett, on the podcast are actually filmmakers ourselves. And one of the questions I had for you in making a documentary, where did you start? Did you start with a story that you knew you wanted to tell? Did it 
you know, naturally kind of evolve and change as you were shooting and editing? And what, what was the, the process like to say, okay, here's the idea, here's the final, you know, product? How, how, did, that, how did that come about? What was the, the process there? I, I, think, I think documentary filmmaking is always a journey because uh, in terms of really what it is, if, if you even look at the history of the project, if you, if you could watch my social media over the course of the three years from the time I decided we were going to do this project to what it finally became, it really was an evolution. I thought at first it was really going to be more of a movie about mythology and storytelling and it was going to have more of an academic sort of bent to it. And then I end up doing this interview with this, you know, six-year-old kid who's just got me crying as I'm sitting there interviewing him. Mm. And that was the moment when I realized, like, okay, this is more than that. This is more than just, you know, a typical documentary. This is an emo- this is this could have an emotional impact on people and really inspire heroism in people. And um, when I started to realize that in the process, I, I I knew there was something more to it, and that changed the film from a bit more of a thoughtful intellectual pursuit to a more personal a more personal expression of belief and faith and courage uh, in in the process. So I think I think documentary filmmaking even more so. I think any filmmaker, you know, whether you're doing like a narrative feature um, or documentary would say there's a process, you know, and it's it turns out a little different than you think. But I think documentary even more so, you have to you have to be open and flexible. And and let the story kind of take you where it wants to go, and I think what's also interesting about my my approach to legends and and it's the same approach to a new film is that it's a collection of stories, and so each the the film as a whole becomes more than the sum of its parts because you start to kind of put these stories together, and whereas individually you might have thought this story was about this, when you put it next to this other story and you you see it as a flow, as a stream of consciousness, your mind starts to unlock about what each story is really about because it's now montage. It's not just an individual frame. It's a montage of, of frames, a montage of stories. And I think, you know, for me, once I saw everything, all the stories, I started to realize even the project was, was bigger in message and scope than I had seen it when I was focusing on the individual stories. So again, it's that openness to being able to to let the story talk to you instead of feeling like you've got to impose your predisposed will on it. But that's hard as a creator, as an artist. We all talk we all want to say, oh, the sculpture was already in the rock. I just <laughs> have to get it out of there. We all want to say that. But at the end of the day, there's so much insecurity in in us as artists to just finish it, to just make it, to just control it. And and that's the battle you have to fight in documentary filmmaking, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, I feel like there's a lot of, of happy, lovey things happening here. So we probably should go to our resident cynic and um, <laughs> see, see if he has any critique of this beautiful, inspirational film. Or certainly something something that he'll have to say, I'm sure. No, Josh, you probably loved it, didn't you? Because really, you're a softie inside. I know you, you are. You expected me to come to this interview with, with negative things to say when we have the creator <laughs> right here. <laughs> I'm not only a cynic, I'm a complete coward. I can't right. say anything. 
it's much <laughs> easier know. to stab somebody in the back. That's right. Yeah, wait till I'm off the phone. <laughs> right, right. I will fire at Tarantino all day because he will never talk, call me back. Yeah, that's right. But no, and actually, what you just said, uh, Brett, is a great segue into what I was going to ask, and that is, you mentioned that you started out with a with a kind of academic focus on the film, and me being the complete pretentious jerk that I am, that was kind of my favorite part is the detour it took into, because you left some of that in there, yes. the detour it took into narrative and into how mythology and how story affects us and is mm-hmm. intrinsically tied up with morality and our own internal philosophies. So I, looking at Legends of the Night and then looking forward to Look to the Sky, since you had that discussion in Legends of the Night, do you plan to expand on it or kind of take a different angle on it in Look to the Sky, which also, of, of course, is a complete morality tale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, as you're bringing that up. So the, the next film is called Look to the Sky. And a lot of people have kind of assumed, and I've, you know, nobody's seen the trailer yet. So, you know, it, it, everything is a little clearer once you have something to really show people and you're not just talking with shadow puppets like I've been yeah, doing definitely. so far, right. which is words. It's really hard to explain movies with words. So, you know, the next film is, is going to tell the stories of young people who have demonstrated the spirit of Superman. And on the surface, that sounds like, oh, well, this is just Legends of the Night Part 2, right? It's just the same movie with Superman instead of Batman. But it's really not, because this movie is not about people who've been inspired by Superman. It's about people who, on a really pretty, in my judgment, extraordinary level, have at a very young age, without even caring about Superman or knowing about him maybe, in a, in a fan sort of way have demonstrated his spirit, have shown that Superman is not just this this fictional construct. He's actually a very real thing in the world that, that exists in people. And so whereas Legends of the Night was really more about stories and how stories affect us and impact us, Look to the Sky is is about what Superman is really about, which is that man of tomorrow, that looking to the future – and the way that you look to the future from a place of hope. You know, if there's one thing that Zack Snyder did get right in Man of Steel, it was that statement about Superman saying, this is what it's about. It's about hope. This is what the symbol on my chest means. It means hope. And I think that's in general what Superman means to people. It means hope. And so without going too much into depth, because I could talk about that forever, but without, without going too much into depth, what this film is going to explore is what hope is. We we talk we use that word a lot. Um, you know, we say I hope for this or I still have hope for the future. But we often use it interchangeably with words like faith or belief or things like that. We don't actually understand what hope is. And and so on an academic level, like what you're talking about, the experts that I'm interviewing, we're going to explore what that is. What is hope? Where does it come from? How do we lose it? And if we lose it, how do we get it back? And then the stories that we're exploring in this film are going to be stories that I think kind of instill that sense of hope within us. When you look at a world that can be very dark and ugly and we got news media blaring at us all the time about how ugly and terrible everything is, these are stories that show, you know what, that's that's not our destiny. That is not what the whole world is. 
The truth is there is hope lurking around every corner, and when you walk into darkness, all it takes is a little bit of light to illuminate the room, and I think that's what these young people are. Looking Brett, forward to I it already. Like a, I have like a big giant smile on my face. I'm so excited <laughs> for this movie. If anyone knows me, they will know why. So that's just so amazing. I'm, I mean, I was already excited for Look to the Sky, but um, coming at it from that angle is perfection. I'm so excited. I know Daniel has some questions about the crowdfunding stuff, which I think we're all interested in. Daniel, did you have some questions about that? Yeah, definitely. So your Kickstarter campaign was super successful and you far exceeded your goal for Legends of the Night. And now you're switching to Indiegogo for your next project, Look to the Sky. Uh, Is there any particular reason for the switch? Was there something that caused that? The primary reason for the switch was is because after all these charity screenings with Legends of the Night and really finding what my filmmaking heart was for these these movies, we decided to start a not-for-profit. It's called The Rising Heroes Project. And we're making all of these documentary films now through The Rising Heroes Project, which, was a, which is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. And Kickstarter is really not designed for charitable, not-for-profit projects, um, whereas Indiegogo is really friendly to that. So, you know, we can register, you know, this campaign as a verified not-for-profit, which allows everyone who contributes to it to get a donation receipt immediately upon, you know, contribution. So not only do you get a cool perk, but it's actually tax-deductible when you made the contribution. So you can get a Blu-ray and a tax deduction at the same time. It's like PBS, you know, it's like making a pledge (laughs) on PBS. Yeah, so which which is really the heart of what we're doing anyway, and and Kickstarter won't let you do that. Um, Kickstarter essentially, even when we did Legends of the Night, kind of made us hide in the closet that we were going to use this for charity. You know, we had a bunch of stuff in there about what we were intending, but they made us take it all out because they don't allow you to do that. So Indiegogo is like, sure, shout it from the rooftop. So I mean, it's the heart of who we are now. So I can't not do it. So because of that, Indiegogo was the right place to go. I hate losing the Kickstarter community because I feel like Kickstarter different than Indiegogo has a bit, you know, when we did Legends of the Night, we picked up contributors and supporters who found us literally through Kickstarter, who were just on the site looking around, found us, supported us. I don't sense that you get that kind of uh, interaction on Indiegogo, but Again, the charitable aspect outweighs the other. We we, we have we had to do it. So uh, I don't know. If that's a great answer. You know, I don't, you probably wanted a more uh, esoteric, beautiful answer to your question, but it, it <laughs> no, comes no, down no. to money. Tax exemptions are beautiful. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. No, and I think I think that's important for people to know that you know this is not just a a filmmaker who's making a movie. This is also a cause. I think that's, that's a right. great that's a great thing to for people to know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's like one of the best reasons I could think of to switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally yeah. great. If only it were so, true. <laughs> <laughs> Are you planning to do the same sort of um, charity screenings around the country with Look to the Sky? Is that how you're, you're planning to use it? Um, we with we the are, we are. We're, we're definitely planning for that. You know, with Legends of the Night, it was very much kind of like a, we didn't even know if it would work. We didn't, we just kind of threw it out there to the world. Right. And it's really – it was pretty amazing to see it happen. You know, most things – most films like this – there are other films that screen all over the country. 
but most of them, you know, that are kind of grassroots, but most of them have some kind of organization or group behind it that that's even though it's very grassroots in its approach, they're kind of pushing it out to the world. You know, they're contacting organizations and community leaders and community organizations and somebody's spending hundreds and hundreds of hours behind the scenes to make that grassroots thing happen. With our case, we didn't have that. Um, we just kind of threw it out to the world. And, um, you know, we did a podcast with Kevin Smith about Legends of the Night and told, you know, here's what we're doing. And that that created a lot of action and activity. Mm. Um, we actually also had one of the, 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 the video we created that was kind of an explainer video for hosting your own charity screening the the official Facebook page for Batman the Animated Series shared it, hmm. um, which I'm still scratching my head about wow. how that got shared by an official Warner Brothers account. But anyway, it did. And um, that's the kind of crazy stuff that happened to me for right. 12 months. All of a sudden, you're you're watching this video that you posted, and you're like, yeah, it's 50 likes, 60 <laughs> likes, so that's pretty good. And you come back, and it's got 6,000 likes. And you're oh like, goodness. what? What just happened? And so, you know, those are the kind of things that kept happening to me all the time. I, my, my heart, my blood pressure was, it was like, I was bipolar for like a year, just up and down and up and down all the time. And um, I have no doubt this is going to be the same with this next film. But yeah, we're definitely going to do this. Here was my point, though. My point was that we're going to do the same thing, but I think we're also uniquely positioned now. My, my vision, even though I'm still kind of sorting this out, is to be more proactive this time, to reach out to organizations, even on a large national or international level, that we feel like could really connect their mission to the message of this film and you know, see if we can partner with them to roll it out as well. So not only are we having these individuals and individual organizations and local communities doing it, but then potentially on a larger level we could have it rolling out as well. So I don't know if that'll happen, but... That's me just kind of saying, you know, giving into the world what, what I'd love to happen and seeing seeing what manifests. Yeah, well, that's all exciting. Well, I know Chad is probably chomping at the bit because he is our resident Superman fanboy. So, Chad, oh. I, <laughs> I'm sure you're very excited about this. I actually I am very much. I actually just have a couple of real quick things um, about Legends of the Night that kind of tie into to Superman. Oh, first of all, l- let me just say that about – maybe 10, 15 minutes into uh, watching Legends of the Night, I hit pause, and I was like, this movie makes me feel wonderful. <laughs> I was just <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's like the longest extended viral video ever of just wonderful things happening. And so it was an interesting construct from just a, just the structure standpoint. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the things that I really loved, I knew like when Officer O'Leary had the, the little ride along and all that, and I was like, am I getting choked up? What is happening to me? <laughs> And so it was really great. It was really great. But one of the things I noticed in general was just the look of the film itself. The B-roll of the kids reading the comics at the beginning was was really beautiful. It was really lovely. So as Chris mentioned to you earlier, a lot of us uh, work professionally in production. So for our tech geeks out there, I'm just curious, what kind of kit did you use when you were shooting this? Because it looked wonderful. Yeah, you're going to love this. So the whole film is shot with a Canon T2i, Canon (laughs) Rebel. All right. (laughs) <laughs> so $500 camera, uh, you could buy it now on eBay for 250 bucks. I would say the vast majority of the film was shot 
with uh, a Rokinon 35 millimeter prime lens. Yeah. Uh, which on a crop sensor like that camera ends up being about a 50 millimeter. Sure. So um, that lens is about $400 on B&H. Sure. Um, so, I, and then I had a couple of zooms that I used mostly, I think one was a Tamron 17 to 50, and then I had a longer one. But even for my longer lens, I don't use the Canon lenses. I use like vintage lenses that you can buy for $75 on eBay, and then you throw a $20 adapter on it. And sure. Voila, you have a 70 to 200 F4. Sure. Um, and then I had a couple of other primes. I have a Rokinon 85 millimeter, and then the, the lights were all uh, battery-powered uh, LED lights uh, that are switchable from indoor to outdoor. They're like $50 per light. Nice. Uh, but they're awesome, and they're adjustable, and they're small, and they're easy to fit in bags, and I love them. You had me at $50 uh, a piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, and they run off the standard Sony batteries. In fact, uh, because I used to use the old Sony Handycams, I'm still using the same batteries that I was using for my my HD Sony Handycams eight years ago. I'm using those batteries now to power my lights. Um, so, And then just kind of a variety. I mean, I think most of that movie was filmed with a you know, a slider that I bought for less than a hundred dollars on eBay. Sure. I have a, I have a glide cam, uh, 1000, the, whatever the cheapest one is because I was working with this little tiny camera. So mm -hmm. I didn't need a big one. You know, that allowed me some steady cam shots when I was filming the runner. Um, but I mean, I would, you know, but I travel even today. I mean, now I'm shooting this new film on the Sony a seven S, um, you know, which is, like five times more expensive than yeah, the last it's a beautiful camera. camera. Yeah. But still not, you know, not ridiculous. I mean, it's still less than a C100. So, you know, and, and not, nothing's real fancy about the way I do anything. I travel, um, you know, even today. I most I filmed Legends of the Night by myself, uh, me and two rolling bags. One rolling bag that has all my expensive stuff in it that goes with me on the plane. One that's kind of a rolling bag that I now can buy like osmosis know that it weighs 49.5 pounds because <laughs> I know exactly yeah. what goes in it and how it hits the, the limit weight, the weight limit. And so that, that, those two bags are pretty much what go with me everywhere. And, um, I, I, you know, set up, I, I do all the pre-production, find the stories, research the stories, do all the phone calls, do all the emails. Wow. I fly into those locations, a movie like Legends of the Night, you know, I think I filmed in like 18 cities. This one will be higher because of the nature of it. It'll be more cities on this one. Um, I go in for two days. I set up all the lights. I do all the sound. I do the cameras and the color, you know, all the, I do everything. And then I, I get the cameras the way I want them. I lock them and I start the interview and they look at me and, and about every 30 seconds I glance over each camera to make sure it hasn't exploded. Um, <laughs> And then, um, and then I do all the editing. Then I edit in Adobe Premiere. Um, and the only things I don't do, like with Legends of the Night, it'll be the same for Look to the Sky. The only things I don't do is I have a composer that does the score for me. He's awesome. He's his name is Dan Phillipson. He's based in the UK. Yeah. Um, I have a colorist. Yeah, I was going to say um, the color. The color was actually really stood out to me as being a very good grade. It looked great. Yeah, he's amazing. He's a lifesaver. His name is uh, Dimitrios Papagianos. He's based mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, and he's working on my trailer for the next film, right? At, probably as we're talking, he's working on it. So he's a miracle worker. And then I have, based in Orlando, 
uh, a post audio sound mixer who um, who takes all the sound and essentially fixes it. So sure. these two guys, I mean, I just spend my life pretty much apologizing to the two of them <laughs> because you know I essentially go out kind of like a kamikaze filming all this stuff and then I bring it back and send it to them and it's like you can make this work right and you know they always seem to so um that's and you guys just see the finished product but i i've thought at some point about doing a before and after on the legends tra- legends of the night trailer and showing like sure. here's what it looked like just from the camera files here's what it looked like and you know people do that when they're showing like raw video and you know they want to show you slog 2 or whatever right and you know it's like look at how different it looks but with me it's not a, it wouldn't impress you to see my my raw files from a wow look at how desaturated it is you'd be like look at how crappy it looks you know <laughs> so so that's that's been the beauty of finding those really talented guys so i don't spend i don't um that's the one place where i splurge a little bit um sure. in my filmmaking process sure well so i've got a question now that will lead to superman here so one of the things that i was the most inter- interested in when i heard that the next film was going to be about superman is in general, uh, Superman kind of gets a bum rap as being kind of here we go. See, there's Josh. There he is. He's a boring. He's a boring character. He's godlike. He can't be hurt. He can't die. Yep. All, all, et cetera, et cetera. I've always maintained that a character that has all of those great powers and still gives his life to serve, <clears throat> service and sacrifice, is what makes him such a compelling character. I'm interested just in your perspective on why Superman. You've explained a little bit about kind of the construct, but and facing those challenges as well with trying to make this something that that people can uh, get around that's uh, that have that opinion of Superman as kind of a quote boring character. Yeah, you you've asked a good question and it's one that we will answer in the film, but my short answer is I mean when I was interviewing Paul Levitz who was the president of DC Comics when I was loving falling in love with dc comics he was the president publisher and um you know i asked him the question you know uh you know do all these stories need to be gritty and dark and why have we taken such a turn and you know all that and one of the things he said that was interesting was that we're we're living in a world where we're we're now demanding more sophistication from our stories we're not satisfied with just flat characters we want we want there to be more more complexity and and because we're just more sophisticated in our ability to take in complicated stories if you tried to show breaking bad or you know house of cards to someone 60 years ago they couldn't keep up with it it'd be too intense for them but now it's what we're accustomed to we want that complexness and so you know that's the problem of superman stories is how do you maintain the core of who he is and what he stands for with the complexity we're now demanding from not only the narratives but the characters that populate those narratives? And it's not just about realism. It's about, um, it's about them being complex enough that we want to spend two hours trying to decipher them and understand them and follow the journey they're on. And so I think that's a problem of Superman, and I think it's the problem that Zack Snyder – it was the tightrope that Zack Snyder was walking with Man of Steel. One of the sometimes, problems. Sometimes he walked well, and sometimes he just completely fell off and plummeted to his death. Yep. Um, but, but I – and that's my opinion. But, but um, 
but I think that's the challenge. That said, I do think that the importance of us telling more stories that show good people and showing that there is, there can still even be that childlike innocence in the world. We don't all, we're not all jaded, and that's not wholly realistic. For me, I, I for, this is personal for me, I'm not going to get into this in the film, but I would love to see them take a, 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 a direction with Superman that was similar to what Marvel took with Captain America. I would love to see a Superman movie that was like Captain America First Avenger. I think that movie proved, at least in my judgment, that you can make a great movie with those kind of sensibilities. And so I, I would love to see that. I think the challenge is that is not the overall universe that DC has in mind. So DC is having Mar- – Warner Brothers is having to figure out how to fit Superman into a darker universe that they want to create. That's really built around their cash cow, who's Batman, um, who's been there. He and Harry Potter have been their cash cows for decades now. So um, I, I think they're trying to figure out how to shoehorn Superman into Batman. So – Anyway, that's a long answer to your short question, but I do think that the power of a positive, positive, good-hearted people that do things because it's the right thing to do, not just because their neurosis led them to do it, I think those are still important stories to tell. And with Look to the Sky, we're going to tell several amazing ones. Man, following up on my... uh coward comment from earlier i've got some words for that dc comics guy because i completely disagree with what you what you said his viewpoint was in the interview but argument for a different time (laughs) (laughs) awesome well i I have actually i know we're supposed to wrap it but i've got one more question this This is maybe the the most important question of this entire interview this is it be be honest (laughs) Everyone answer this one. Are you going to ask me about Ben Affleck? No, 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 no. (laughs) No, I'm actually excited about Ben Affleck. Um, (laughs) Batman versus Superman, who wins? What's going to happen? Come on. Oh, man, that's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's not even a question. It's the worst. It's not even a question. Yeah, I mean, I I don't. I mean, it depends on who's writing it and what worldview they come from. Right. I mean, I think the bottom line, I think the bottom line, even though I love Batman, I love Batman. In my heart, I love Batman. I think, you know, these discussions about, well, how long does he have to prepare? If he has a month to prepare, he can beat Superman. But the problem with that logic is that assumes that Superman is stupid and Superman's not stupid. So if he's, 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 like otherworldly smart so like people forget that so intelligence is one of his superpowers so if you give them both a month to prepare you know if you give batman a month to prepare but not superman a month to prepare then maybe batman could win but if you give them both a month to prepare if it's equal then superman's gonna win so superman has what batman has but then he has stuff batman doesn't have so He's gonna if he has a month to prepare. He's gonna figure out what to do about the dumb kryptonite. And what to do about the, <laughs> you know, dinosaur that is made of kryptonite and the, you know, he's gonna know what to do with all that. So there you go. But I still think at the end of the day, the reason I don't, you know, I I, I don't want to see those guys fight. I want to see them be friends and 
go go you know save the world that's the story i like you want to see that's the dawn right. of justice right no, that's the we got the colon dawn of justice that's it i want to see him shake hands and be friends and give high fives in the air and yeah. you know all that stuff and that's right you yeah. know that's what i want to see i Hooray. hope so i hope so <laughs> awesome all right. Well, Brett, we are so thankful for your time and for all of your insight. And we are super excited about Look to the Sky. And we'll definitely be sharing the link to, to the Indiegogo crowdfunding thing when it comes out so that our listeners can be a part of it if they want to. Is there a release date yet for Look to the Sky? Uh, well, we're right now shooting for August, September 2016. Awesome. So we're still kind of working on it, but I, you know, I don't think it's going to be that long of a lead time. Gotcha. Do, do you have any channels that you have lined up for distribution already? You know, I'm not really ready to talk about that, but uh, I, I do feel like that the opportunities for both theatrical with charity and these VOD opportunities are going to be available to us. So it, it'll just be a question about when and how that all works. Yeah. yeah. So is there anything else, Brett, that we maybe didn't, uh, didn't hit on that you want to say to the audience uh, before we let you go? I think that you know you can check out the trailer and and all the details on our Indiegogo campaign, uh, or you can go to our website, which is supermanisreal.com. dot com. He is. And there's a lot of lot of information on there. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we will check out supermanisreal.com, dot com, and we will really be looking forward to seeing look to the sky and hopefully maybe get you back on here in a year or so and talk about how much it's already impacted the world. That'll look be forward exciting. to it. Thanks, guys, for inviting me. Thank, Thank you, Brett. You. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Welcome to the main event. Our main event for this episode of The Screeners is Black Mass. What did you marinate this steak in? Because it's out of this world. You're killing me with it. No, no, no. It's a family secret. Huh? Come on. You got to tell me that. What's the secret? Come on. You could do it. Come on. <laughs> Come on. What's the what's the what's the fam- what's the family secret recipe? It's gr- it's ground garlic and a little bit of soy. I thought it was a family secret. <laughs> it's a recipe. No. No. You said to me this is a family secret, and you gave it up to me. Boom. Just like that. You spill the secret family recipe today. Maybe you spill a little something about me tomorrow. Hmm? I was just saying that. You were just saying. Just saying gets people sent away. Just saying. Got me a nine-year stretch in Alcatraz. You understand? So, just saying could get you buried real quick. <laughs> Look at his face. <laughs> Black Mass is the true story of Whitey Bulger, the brother of a state senator and the most infamous violent criminal in the history of South Boston who became an FBI informant to take down a mafia family invading his turf. Black Mass stars Johnny Depp, Benedict Cumberbatch, Dakota Johnson. It was directed by Scott Cooper. 
I am really excited to be able to talk about uh, this this particular film. It's quite unique uh, in many different ways. So yeah, let's go ahead and start in our discussion. So let's see here, Chad. What did you think of Black Mass? Well, I live in a, a little small-ish town in Tennessee. And so well, my wife and I, when we are trying to decide where we want to go eat, we uh, don't have a ton of options, right? So we tend to go to the same cycle of places over and over again. And there's this place, because we both love Chinese food, we love Asian food. And so there's this place that if we're in a hurry, but we want Chinese food, it's called Six Happiness. Now I don't know what that I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's literally the name. Six, Six Happiness. Happ- I'm sure there are all kinds wow. of things that it, I don't know. When we go there, uh, it's because it's quick, it's filling, it's not delicious, it's not terrible, and it's Chinese food. It checks all the boxes. It's like yeah, it's you know it's. Mongolian beef, it's fried rice, it's whatever, okay? Where are we going here, Chad? I'm getting there, I'm getting there. <laughs> so the thing about Black Mass is that it's it's the same kind of thing for me uh, as Six Happiness. It mm. is, it checks off all the boxes of being a, a biopic, character drama, mobster movie. It has the the outbursts of ultraviolence, uh, you know, the shocking outbursts of ultraviolence. It has the over-the-top character with a lot of scenery to chew at the central part of the movie. But after it's all said and done, it's just not that memorable. It'll do in a pinch. It's not offensive. It's not terrible. But for me, it just, it just never got to the point where I really cared much. And I don't, and, and when I left, I was really trying to figure out why, because I think the, I think Johnny Depp's performance. Let me just get this out of the way. I think his performance is great. I think it's a, I think it's a good return to form for him. Although he's still just as made up as he has been. I mean, not obviously crazier things, but I think his performance is is really really good. I don't know if it's because we've seen this kind of story a lot, and so all the beats feel familiar. I don't know. It just never connected for me in a meaningful way where I I care about it. Now, I I think I have an idea why, and when we get a little bit deeper into the review, uh, I'll talk about that. Uh, Let let me say this from a positive standpoint. It's a beautiful film. Uh, It was shot on film, which I I thought that it was, and then I checked after it was over. It was shot on on 35-millimeter film. It's gorgeous. The, The world looks lived in. The visual aesthetic, I think, is is wonderful um, and I'm always a sucker for that kind of stuff I think this director is excellent I, I really liked Crazy Heart and I know not a, a lot of people liked it but I really liked Out of the Furnace and so I expected I expected it to be well made and it was but this is just a movie that there's just no joy in this movie it's a it's about a bad man doing bad things all the time and we don't really ever find out why necessarily I think they hint at it but they don't really ever dig deep into it it just feels like it's kind of going through the the motions of telling all the things that happened to this person because it's a true story as opposed to really kind of getting underneath the hood of this individual and part of that problem is because it's not just about Whitey Bulger it has 
so many different points of view. It starts off as one thing, then it switches to another perspective, and then another perspective, and that lack of focus for me, I think, made it more difficult for me to really latch on to anything. And so as a result, when I, when it left, I was just like, when I left, I was just very much, I was very appreciative of the work to put the movie together, but I just could not... I couldn't care about it, and I don't. And, and so maybe that's maybe that's just me. But that's when we get into spoilers and some other things. I'll talk a little bit more about it. But that's that's kind of my initial uh, impression. Some great performances, by the way. Daniel, what did you think of the movie? I'm kind of with Chad for the most part. I, I I did enjoy it quite a bit. Like I I, I want to make sure that's clear. I did leave it, you know, entertained and and happy, or you know, glad I had watched it. But um. I thought you were yeah. going to say you left happy. Yeah, I was like, yeah, what that, is well, that's wrong with you? It was the feel-good <laughs> movie, movie of the year. It was like the darkest thing ever. <laughs> no, I, but I, I was glad I watched it. You know, it was enjoyable. But, yeah, I, I, it didn't have that much to say. Uh, I found it interest, more interesting than entertaining. Um, it was very informative. Um, and, and, you know, obviously, Whitey Bulger is a very interesting man, uh, led a very interesting life. And so I was interested in hearing what happened to him or what he did, but, you know, it didn't really have much else to say other than telling us what happened, you know, just sort of here's what happened, then here's what happened. Right. And so for me, it didn't really click other than that. It was just um, very interesting, and that was about it. Lots of amazing performances. Johnny Depp is incredible, definitely deserves to be in the in the conversation for, uh, for Best Actor, um, and, you know, he'll probably be nominated, but... He's not the only one. There's lots of great performances. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard, especially for some reason, he just sticks out to me. Uh, his performances are always Man, really he committed. Was good. He was a yeah. sweaty, disgusting, disgusting. <laughs> Man, he was good. Yes. That oh was. oh man. Yes. Oh, he was good. absolutely. He, for, I, I don't know why he always sticks out for me. He's 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 just really committed uh, in anything he does. So so yeah, all the performances. I, I I can't no. There was no weak link that stuck out for me um, out of the many 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 people in this movie. But yeah, other than enjoying uh, the 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 interesting bits of Whitey Bulger's life and you know how the FBI is involved, uh, you know it just wasn't super entertaining. So and and the other thing was, I kept thinking throughout the film of The Departed. And I kept thinking of that how how much they how much the, the story of the departed was probably influenced by the real life story of Whitey Bulger because um, there were things that were similar. Obviously, they're very different in plot, but there were things that were very similar. And so I just kept thinking of how much more enjoyable the the Boston Mob movie, The Departed, was than than you know Black Mass. And and so there's just no real need for Black Mass. Um, I don't you know I. I my life is just the same <laughs> seeing it. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's, That's a fair it's, point. Uh, it's like the yeah. it's like the remake of um, the Spider-Man, the reboot after right. the, after the Sam Raimi trilogy. You watched it and it was like, exactly. I don't know why I saw that again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I, I definitely enjoyed it, you know, but overall, it's just, you know, I'd, I'd recommend The Departed first. So. So let me ask this question. How many of you, are you guys familiar with the actual story of James Whitey Bulger before you walked into the theater to watch this film? Just for me, just um, the very surface level. I just knew, you know, tiny bits about it. I didn't know much deeper into the story. Yeah. The only thing that I knew was when they arrested him in 2011, that it was a big deal. But that's really all I knew. I didn't really know anything else. So I I didn't remember that. Honestly, I I walked into this theater having seen a trailer and not really being all that interested in seeing it. In fact, I almost 
decided not to, and I was like, you know what? I just I'll just let the guys review it. I don't need to see it. <laughs> so I walk into the movie theater last night. Uh, I sat down. I was by myself. I didn't have anybody with me. The theater was pretty lightly. You know, there, there was maybe a dozen or so people there, and um, from the moment this movie started. I was captivated, guys. Uh, <laughs> Chris loves everything. I, <laughs> I know. I, and I feel, as listening to you guys talk about it, I was like, oh, man, there's something wrong with me. Like, I guess I just I enjoy things for what they're supposed to be, maybe not what they actually are. But the, the, the performances, the, the, the characters just kept surprising me. Like, I've forgotten that Benedict Cumberbatch was going to be in this. And his Boston accent, just really, I was just like, whoa, who is this guy? And Joel Edgerton, uh, him uh, playing the FBI uh, agent, John Connolly, just really blew me away as to like why he was doing that and his his allegiance to this very violent criminal. Why is that such a big, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, it became, for me, so just like, crazy it just was like i can't believe this actually happened is it these characters these people actually do these things and then the the stars just kept showing up kevin bacon is in this movie adam scott from uh the um parks and recreation is in this movie uh cory stoll from from the first season of um house of cards so you know there's just these really great character actors that just keep showing up in this movie and it just feels like a real lived in world and i i agree I, with I, that i felt yep. like as i was watching this i felt like this wasn't like the departed where uh, it was a, a fictional story that obviously took bits from you know reality and and tied them together in a really good story this is a a thing that actually happened this is something that really occurred in a small area in the 70s and then like crazy town of like Miami suddenly coming into play and other parts of the country and this just watching that all unfold was just completely fascinating with me and I, and I found there was a lot of holes so after I left the, fi- the, the film last night I went on to Netflix and I watched the biography uh, the documentary called Whitey um, and if you are interested at all in the story, I would recommend that you watch it because they did an excellent job of telling the actual story. Like there are a whole lot of departures between, uh, no pun intended, between um, uh, Black Mass and the actual story. So I, I don't know. I found it fascinating. I kind of fell in love with this 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 whole world and the way they told the story and specifically the characters. It just was, I thought, a really well made well done uh, biography of this uh, criminal mastermind it just i i really i enjoyed it quite a bit it was it was crazy well so i got to say a lot of the things you you just said sort of reinforced what i think uh, about the movie and i saw sure. this about 3 or 4 weeks ago and i think i think after i watched it i liked it a lot better than i do now i think in in the time since i've watched it i've sort of come down from it and and um it just 
there are so many other movies, especially from this year, that 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 uh, rise above it. And so I think that's part of the reason why it's just not that. I, I like I said before, I was very entertained and interested in the story. I feel like I would love to go watch that that documentary you just recommended. I probably will. Um, yeah. Because I'm I'm curious about his life, and and I t- after I watched the movie, I laid in bed and read the the w- entire Wikipedia page on, on Whitey Bulger. Because see, very okay, so intriguing. the movie the movie did what it meant to do then, and that is intrigue you enough to say, whoa, wait a minute like sure. i want to know more about this and that's sure. good that's a good thing that, that's what a movie is meant to do right is, is to sure. kind of you know have you ask some questions afterwards and, and engage it a little bit i think that's and, a good so, thing yeah I, I totally agree with you and that's why i said i did enjoy it and, and uh, you know i would probably recommend somebody see it but at the end of the day a, a movie if you're going to make a, a fictional or not a, if you're going to make a narrative film about something it should have a point something to say rather than right, look at this interesting man um, you know, it, I think it did a great job of look at this interesting guy who lived a real life. I think it did an excellent job at that. But as far as what it, you know, had to say about the interesting guy, you know, a point exactly like Chad said, a point of view, I, I didn't get that much from it. So I, th- I, I totally agree. Like, I don't disagree with anything that you said. I thought it was, you know, a very lived in world, but it just didn't, I don't know, it didn't say anything to me other than, hey, here's this interesting guy who lived a real life. Yeah, and and I agree with you definitely that universally the performances are excellent i mean there's a scene with uh, julianne nicholson who plays the wife of joel edgerton's character oh, oh gosh that without going to spoilers is oh. marvelous and yeah. and just oh. as good as it gets right and so yeah. I, and so that's for me what is what didn't connect as well for for this film is that it in segments and in scenes in individual sequences as self-contained entities they they are very well done but within context when you put the whole thing together you know in its 2 hour plus runtime it really begins to begins to feel very just by the numbers this happened then this happened then this happened mm-hmm. then this happened to me the more interesting take on all of this it was the fact because what makes Whitey Bulger unique was that in able for in order for him to rise to quote unquote kingpin status, yeah. he was an informant for the FBI. No, that wasn't that was it was the FBI yeah. allowed him. Not right. just that no, he was an informant. I no, I get it. And right, that's what I'm saying. The interesting part of this story that I that I think is completely underserved in this version of this film you're, is you're that right. the tension and the the uniqueness, the point of view that would elevate this above other just kind of very traditional mob fare is the FBI being complicit in his wrongdoing, looking the mm-hmm. other way, and then the the character arcs of the FBI people, specifically Edgerton's character, who in my opinion crosses the line maybe a little too much and gets a little too uh, cartoony for me, but a more nuanced look at what does it take for a man, what kind of relationship, what kind of history would it take for a seemingly good man to want this kind of life, to feel so unvalidated or not to have what he deserved or so loyal that he would be willing to throw his life away to be a criminal. And Mm -hmm. from Whitey's perspective, what what would it be like? Because, I mean, and they mention this in all the interviews many times. I'm not a rat. I'm not a rat. 
Yeah. What would it be like from that perspective to have to constantly be navigating being a criminal while at the same time working with the FBI, quote unquote? So to me, that story is what is really potentially very compelling, but that didn't really get a lot of service. For me, it was just a lot of gratuitous violence. And from from a standpoint of the assassinations, if you will, when they happened, they were very effective, very well constructed. Very Mm -hmm. well put together, but there were so many of them that I I literally remember thinking to myself, watching every frame, when is somebody going to walk over and shoot this person in the back of the head? Exactly. It was so much over and over and over and over again. But for me, after a certain point, I'm not learning anything new about the character or his motivations. It's just another outbreak of violence as opposed to me trying to learn why does he do this? What made it happen? And so for me, as a film, just a standalone film, that's why I couldn't connect because it kept making decisions that felt more rote to me, while at the same time being immaculately crafted. I guess that's the reason why I like this movie so much, though, is because I was expecting just a regular gangster movie. I had no idea about the whole FBI connection, the fact that the FBI allowed this to happen and gave him basically uh, the run of the entire city. Uh, I had no idea that was... That was a part of this. And so that layer for me, I just found it fascinating. I kept thinking to myself, there's no way they actually let this happen. This must be a Hollywood, you know, kind of veneer over what happened. And that's not it at all. This is this is what happened. The FBI let this guy become, like you said, the kingpin of Boston. He owned that city. And that's a story I wanted to see. I felt like I did though. That that's kind of why I loved it is because I was like, man, I didn't expect I didn't expect that at all. I can't imagine that they allowed they protected this dude until like 1994. That's sure. insane. Yeah, but they just they. They hinted around the edges and showed you what was happening, but they never really dug right. deep into it. It was I mean, all, it yeah. was always Edgerton's character in there going, "Hey, didn't do it. Hey, I don't know. Hey, <laughs> like twenty times in a row." Yeah, so, anyway. yeah. I mean, I, I I agree with you there. I, I think there was there were like I said when I first said like there there were definitely holes that I didn't quite understand how they were filled in, and obviously there was periods of time that had passed, and I just wasn't sure what. Uh, or how things had transpired the way that they did, and that's definitely on the filmmakers. There's no doubt. Um, but I think it was it, it's more than a competent movie. Uh, it is a really well shot. I don't think you'd ever be sorry that you watched this movie, no, especially I if agree. you're a yeah. guy. Yeah, I definitely. agree totally. Yeah. So I, I just I guess because I had such low expectations for this, when I walked out, I thought to myself, "Man, wow, it wasn't like." What I was expecting. There was that. There was an extra layer of interesting. That FBI connection made it just interesting enough that it kept my attention uh, for the entirety of the film. So, anyway. Yeah, and uh, I don't. I don't want to feel like I don't want it to sound like I'm super negative on this movie. This is not a bad movie. On the contrary, it's a very well-made movie. Yeah. Um, it yeah. just didn't connect emotionally with me and go to the places that I would hoped. Uh, that it would go that would give it a little more nuance for me. But you can't – I don't think anybody will see this and, and think, wow, this is poorly made or it's not good. It is very yeah. good. Any final thoughts? Um, should you go see this movie in the theater? Daniel, what do you think? I think I think you should see it in the theater. I don't think you need to rush there. You know, if you're on the edge, uh, if you're trying to decide between this and something else, you know, there are there are better movies in the theater. But I, I definitely think you you definitely won't be sorry that you saw this, and it is a very good movie. 
Chad, how about you, man? Yeah, you know, my my natural tendency is to always say see everything in the theater, but if we take that off the table, I don't think this is one that you have to see in the theater. I, I think that there are so many excellent films out and that are coming out that you, I think you need to see in the theater. Uh, this one, I, I don't... I think you can have the same experience at home that you would in the theater. It's just a it's just a well-made slow burn of a film that is well-made. Yeah. So yeah. I'd say rent it. And, and you know to be honest with you, I would say about the same thing um that you don't necessarily need to see this. This isn't like a theater going experience that you have to but I would say watching this with uh someone who likes gangster movies uh like a small group of friends would not be a bad thing because there are some moments in this film where you're going to get an audible gasp or oh and that kind of stuff there's definitely some like you were saying uh in our fight sequence moments there's some visceral moments in this film that are terrifying and crazy you're not going to believe we're real but actually did happen so anyway uh for that alone i think you should definitely check out black mass in any way you possibly can i don't think you should miss it all right, should we go into spoilers? I don't think we really don't, need to. I don't think right? we need to. No, I yeah, I, I agree. To. Okay, yeah, so that was our thoughts on Black Mass. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, take that segment down under the bridge and uh, put it where it belongs. You're listening to The Screeners Podcast. Well, that'll do it for another episode of The Screeners. As always, a big thank you to all of our fans and listeners. You know, we'd really appreciate it if you get some time to look us up on Facebook. You can go to Facebook and search for Screeners. While you're there, you can like our page or comment on the stories and tell us how wrong we were about how good San Andreas is, about how awesome Michael Bay is, whatever is on your mind. Let us know. Let us know what your favorite fight film is. You can also stop by ScreenersPodcast.com to read our show notes or send us an email at ScreenersCast at gmail.com. Let us know what you'd like to hear about in future shows. And as always, do us a solid. Head over to iTunes. Leave us a review as that really helps us do a better show. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next time. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to ScreenersPodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time.